Eels off the top. Larkham. Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan. Drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes. Could you believe it? Larkham has Kabir Kabir. Welcome back, everyone, to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. We're the show that's getting you over the game line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. I'm Reg Roberts, joining you once again. And with us this week to dissect and, uh, I guess, commiserate uh, the game that was, uh, it's an awful too familiar topic for us, is, is Matt Rowley and Hugh Cavill. How are you, Matt? I guess if there's any positive out of this, is that the fact that we haven't been able to get onto the egg chaser guys? Yeah, no, we've given them fair warning. Um, the, the, the Five tweets are there. Yeah, so we need to get this thing done quickly before they reach out back to us. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Mr. Cavill, how are you, mate? Have you recovered from uh, the weekend? Oh, uh, maybe, maybe not. I think I'll need a bit of bit of group therapy here tonight, maybe to to, to get us over the line, Reg. How are you feeling? You sound a bit. Sound a bit worse oh, than <laughs> A little bit crook and, you know, not overly enthused about coming on and chatting about uh, another, di- you know, a pretty tough match to watch and, and, I guess, dissect. But there's plenty to talk about. And we do have five burning questions, but we don't know how long we'll stick with it. It might, in the end, just be one burning question. And, and, and to, if we could paraphrase, paraphrase uh, Michael Checker and perhaps we'll put the explicit warning on this the question is what the fuck happened you know let's <laughs> let's start there <laughs> you know yeah. how, did, how did the what was your read of the match I don't want to get to the had we lose but let's let's start with that you know the early what was your feel of the match early on Matt how did you feel this match was going before everything turned sour at the end well there was a thing that happened I don't know if you guys remember it was probably about Milgenia's second or third pass um, and it just, it went too high and then Foley got hit or something yeah. happened and we were yeah. behind the game line and all the rest of it. And it never got better from there. So, um, there were so many can, things that go. Can sorry, I take go you ahead. back even further, mate? Sorry. Yeah. And that's really interesting that you point that up. But I, I remember seeing, um, from the kickoff, uh, yeah, they regained the ball. Um, Blake and of a sort of positioned himself on the blind side and, Little halfback Youngs went for a quick dash, and I think this is the second phase of the match, if not the first, um, and just bopped Blake out of it off the ball, and, and Blake went flying. So I thought, oh well, that's in an auspicious <laughs> start. And then, and not so, and then I think from that very next phase, they you know they spun it back the other way, and someone made the tackle, tackle, and Hannigan actually came in and did a really good clear out. But then, then there was no one else there to follow up, and I thought. That was actually a consistent thing all night. We'd get one good clear, and we obviously don't contest the defensive mall. We didn't contest the defensive mall all night, but gee, there looked to be opportunities. But a, a similar theme, mate, I'll let you get back to it, but within the first minute of the game, there's two elements there that just made me go, oh no, maybe this, this isn't going to pan out for us. Yeah, no, look, and, and what I'm about to say is, um, it's, it's actually not necessarily aimed at Will Genia, because long-time listeners will know I've got a thing about his service when it's slow, but I think there was a number of things that contributed to it, which weren't necessarily his fault. But for whatever reason, um, you know, from that, he had a couple of sloppy passes, um, didn't quite go right. And we know how crisp and grey his passing has been. And from then on, it just, I don't know, everything slowed down that couple of metres. And the Poms just have, you know, that they got a really, really good defensive structure. We all know Eddie Jones measures them and how quickly they are into the defensive line. And then Gusted's got them coming up. 
um, you know, pushing up and in. And I think, you know, basically from then on, we were, you know, behind the game line and it was, we were back to rope a dope, uh, which was how hard can you run into a, a brick wall uh, for the rest of the night, which we did. But as, as, and look, everything in that wallaby setup relies on quick ball, flat at the game line, getting over the front foot and so many things that just went wrong. I mean, what went right for the Poms, they had really great defense. We weren't bending the line. Common was a massive miss. The ball was greasy as hell, so you're trying to play flat and it's hard to keep hold of. You know, we're, we're just a bit slow on every single... You know, the Poms were good at the breakdown. They were slowing things down with minimum commitment. You know, we're, we're two yards slow, and that's it. Game over. And, um, you know, it, it all then adds up to we're not getting on that front foot. You know, all those great tries we talked about versus the All Blacks where we went like 75 metres, which was just phase after phase after phase, just building, you know, getting behind their game line. just wasn't happening. And um, and then suddenly you're playing pressured ball in and around your own halfway, and it's and it's just a matter of time that just counts down. I know we're going to dissect later on other things, but um, you know, I, I I think where it got to in the end then is I think you know Simon Gleave on Twitter does a he does a great piece of analysis, which is number of points from entries into the opposition twenty two, and I think we we had you know four entries. Um, over the whole match, and I think we took like three points out of all of them. Um, they had eight entries, and on average, took something like three point eight points. Um, so you know, just we just weren't converting. We weren't, well, a we weren't getting the entries, and then b we weren't converting, even though we had the majority of the possession in the territory, which is just shows you how well England controlled that whole match. And I think I, as pissed off as I am as anybody else about a whole bunch of things. Um, at the end of the day, you know, we had two half chances at tries, um, which, you know, we'll talk about in a second, but that's all we had. That was mm, it. Yep. Um, and, um, they had their chances and, you know, converted them all and they actually had more chances. They had eight entries and we had four. So I don't really know what we can bitch about, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, Hugh, we'll bring you in here. Real game of moments, and I think there'll be some standout ones, but there's some little ones as well. What was your read, I guess, of that early, even just that first half? And, you know, it was uh, it was pretty tight. That was a score at halftime there. It was just six England. It was a really fascinating game, actually, Reg. I mean, my, my first thoughts, I think similar to a lot of people, was, I mean, I watched the recording the next morning, and I turned on the recording not knowing what the score was or what had happened, and first thing I saw was, was, was the driving rain. And mm. already knowing that we were without Common, without Falau, I thought, oh, God, that's, that's a worst-case scenario for us. You know, this is Eng- English conditions to a T. And sure enough, I think, you know, it was a couple of minutes in and the Poms put up their first bomb, um, the first up and under to Bernard. And it was, I think it was um, Ford who put it up and it just boomed off his boot and and... And Foley was just, I think he actually managed to take it, but was just smashed. Yeah. And I thought, oh, here we go. This is what it's going to be all night. And and we're going to get flogged. You know, we're, we're just not going to be in this game at all. And after 10 minutes, that was only reinforced. We bungled a line out. We were looking to be, we were being hit behind the gain line. Um, you know, Bernard Foley's kicking wasn't working. I thought, oh, here we go. But, but actually... <laughs> The game, in many ways, was 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 closer than I expected it to be. And if you just said it to me at that point, um, you know, we'll be behind by seven points with ten minutes to go, 
I, I would have been genuinely surprised. Um, and actually, you know, for us to have what I thought was you know, the, a lot of possession and, and, you know, really got into the game pretty well and at a certain point looked looked like we could make a run at it. Um, that was better than what I thought we would do in those conditions. Um, you know, to, to, to drop our bundle so badly in the last 10 minutes was obviously very disappointing. But, you know, there was there were some positives and, and Matt, Matt's right, you know, that we, we didn't have many opportunities. But, you know, the conditions were very difficult. You know, it's a bit unfair to compare what we did against England there to what we did against the All Blacks in Brisbane because, I mean, that's 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 a dry, hard track in, in Suncorp in front of a big home crowd. You know, this was a, almost the toughest conditions in world rugby. And, and for us to do what we did, you know, there's there's 60 really good minutes in that game there that I was really happy with. It was just probably 20 that were that were that were really um you know that were really off. So it, it was it was a weird one, Reg. Given the scoreline's 36 and it was England's largest ever victory over the Wallabies. Actually, um, I'm weirdly sort of I don't know neutral about the whole experience actually. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, you know, I was going to make make that point of view that it was their their biggest victory and most number of tries in a test match for us, or at least equal most, and all sorts of things. First time we haven't scored a try in a couple of years in a test. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I kept talking more. I think of it is this game of moments, and it's that first half hour spell which I thought was. You know, pretty dour stuff. You know, you, you guys are right, Matt. And you, you talk about our sort of inability to get across the line, and the forwards couldn't deal, couldn't deal. It was mostly left up to Beal to um, sort of make his sort of pseudo half breaks, or at least sort of get the other side of the defence somewhat. A few flat passes by by Foley caught us up, and Genia's passing was really slow. He's actually quite poor this Test match, um, and I, I almost felt like we were. We were just hanging on until England would break through, and I thought that would come. But you talk about moments, and there's a few de- defining ones, and I, I really think that sort of yellow cards, those yellow cards, getting through those. So, so I think Hooper was called about the, oh, I don't know, 33rd, or he came yeah, back. 33rd. Yeah, 33rd, and then maybe about five or six minutes, four or five minutes after that, Bill went that period. Um, with I think just the three points uh, w- was pretty pretty special and almost sort of brought back those memories of the 2015 World Cup uh, against Wales. And I actually think we came out of that positively. We sort of started to lift a little bit um, and, and I had a bit of confidence that you know, England was starting to... to um, to, to, to fall off tackles and we were making a little bit of ground um, and, and then came one of those big turning points was, you know, literally I was thinking when, when Carreri was making that big break, I was like, oh, here it comes. You know, this is, you know, this is, we've started to see a little bit of this, but finally it's got to happen. Oh, and, you know, the, the pass inside of Tavita, it looks all good and then he drops it and then they they go down the other end of the field and score and that was a real turning point to me. That The palms lifted after that um, and, and um, and I think we got our way back, and and you know soon enough uh, we, we made ground again, and, and you know this time it was uh, Corbetti breaking through, and, and then after that, once that no try happened, um, 
it just it just fell apart for us. But um, the other one, I, you know, we'll get I guess individuals. What one more turning point when Underhill went off, and I don't know too much about him. The, the open side for the English, and I know it's fairly highly rated, but I. I felt the Poms really lifted when Atoja came on too. They looked a different team when he came on. Uh, admittedly, it was around the same time as those yellow cards, but just some of those key moments that saw, saw, saw turning points in that game. So, so what about, um, uh, I guess, some of those individual performances, uh, then, Matt? What's, who caught your eye for the Wallabies? Who, you know, who impressed? Who didn't? And then we might talk about the Poms as well. Well, mate, I'm going to set you up because I know you're all over this. Um, yeah, a, a very discerning rugby punter I know put a tweet out saying, uh, is there a better winger in world rugby than uh, Corabetti? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think you might, I think you might have been throwing out that it's had a bit of a conversation. <laughs> but, um, wow, how good was he? Talk about, you know, just taking the next step on. That... That, I mean, there's so many things he did, that break that you were just talking about, um, but, you know, that, that tackle on Farrell yeah. when, they, when they were in and he just came from, you know, he was a second-line uh, attack, um, picked it, timed it, was just absolutely beautiful. I mean, his, his whole match was, was stunning, wasn't it? Oh, uh, it was. It was one of the one of the best wing performances I've seen for quite a long time from a from a wallaby at least. And I, yeah, I, I think he is just spectacular. I'm blown away by how good he's performed, and it, it is that work off the ball that he does so well, um, both defence and attack. And even when that Karevi break, you can see him on the. He spotted the break early and was trying to get himself in the position that was on the outside. And obviously Karevi just went inside, but you get that feeling of Karevi. Uh, was able to go, and I, and I still think it was the right decision to come inside because there was a, a bit of English defence out there. But if it was Corabetti near him, it, it would have been shut the gate. And there's a couple of those times he, he's looking fantastic, and um, it's not often wings get considered for man of the match. But in our green and gold rugby um, man of the match that we do on the forum every week, he he's high up there, and I think he's probably sneaking away with it at the moment. Was, he was fantastic. Yeah. Well, so then I've given you him, so I'm going to take my other one. Um, which is, uh, <laughs> is uh, I thought Sakobi Kapu had an absolute crack. Oh, come on, mate. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, then. You, 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 you run through him. I'll just throw him out there, but you do the run down then. Oh, what a bloody legend. I mean, that, again, he has just been outstanding this year, and he's gone, he's getting better and better, and I think he's, what, in his mid-30s now, but... I mean, lock him in for a position in the 2019 World Cup and let's do whatever we can to get him there. Because not only did he, um, you know, more than hold his own against a good English scrum, which we, you know, agonised about at length in the podcast last week, but then he he managed to be um, probably our most effective ball carrier and make a couple of really nice half breaks. Um, You know, the the bike, when he's on, he's, he's just you know, best in the world. And even he had some of the English commentators gushing over him. I mean, he is, um, he, he, he's just coming into his own now and um, in, in his mid to late thirties. And, and, you know, if, if he can keep this form up, um, then, or you can build it, build a forward pack around that. And, and you can probably extend it to the front row generally. I thought were all um, outstanding, outstanding performances in that, in, in that 
Yeah. yeah bang, bang on you. I thought, you know, just from the scrummaging performance alone in that first hour, I thought they were spectacular. And then Kepu stepped it up in what I like to call the, the McMahon minutes, that last sort of quarter of the game when McMahon is usually the one who's, who's sort of making those big busts. But Sek, Big Sakopi put in a couple of massive runs and really crucial time too. He was sensational. Yeah, the McMinutes is their now name, mate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I also thought, like, you know, same with that Taff. I don't know if you saw it. The amount of work he was doing, just chasing balls and covering tackles, and I don't know how the hell he did it. Like, his, his, his aerobic fitness is just unbelievable considering what they're also doing in that scrum. I, um, yeah, it was hats off to him as well. Yeah, how good would it have been to see him, you know, play a proper Wallaby career? You know, he, he's got a lot of caps, and I, I forget what that is. It must be his 60th, 70th, close to 80th or something like that. But so many off the bench and so many. Like he what, – what's – Moore's on 128 or something like that. They debuted the same year, you know. It's just Tatafu's missed so much with injury and all that sort of stuff and never really establishing him. And you'd you just like to think that, he, you know, if he got a decent run, what he brings to that team is, is just sensational. It's a shame that – you know, he, we lose him at the end of this year. We've talked about that in the past. and We'll see him back at some stage, you would think, uh, injuries permitting. But um, he was he was electric and has been this year. So great performance by the front row uh, there as well. Um, any Wallabies we're particularly disappointed at? I'll start here. I thought Willie, Willie Genia. Um, you know, we've talked him up and his form has been fantastic and, and so on. But... This is this was such a big match. I mean, we talked about it, you know. Forget the Bledisloe, and we, we play that every year, and, you know, we want to beat that, and obviously great to get that third test. But ever since that 3-0 last year and, the, and the, then the 4-0, I guess, at the end of the last season, this match would have been one you would hope that would be circled in each of their calendars as a key match. And for these key matches, you need your big players to stand up, you know, your Beals, your Foley's, your, your Guineas, your Hoopers. Um, and I think all four of those guys were, were pretty disappointed. Oh, look, that's harsh on Hooper. Hooper was, was sensational. He's an, he's an amazing player, but for obvious reasons, the discipline, the yellow card, let him down. You know, he's most yellow carded. But, but back to Genia. So you want your key players to stand up, and I think they let us down. More so Genia. I remember reading this great story by Nick Farr-Jones, or listening to him interviewed about... Uh, when we last won the Bledisloe Cup in New Zealand back in 86. And it was a split series, one all. They're going into the third test at wherever it was. I don't know, Dunedin maybe. Um, and they woke up in the morning. It was a wet game. And he just said, I knew it was a game for me. This was when you need your halfback and your experienced man really standing up when it's those wet conditions. The halfback is the man that's got to dictate the game. And that's what we needed from Genia. And unfortunately, Matt, you said it. The first, his first pass from the set piece from the scrum was slow and laborious, and it it really set us in the back foot. And I, he may have lifted a bit in the second half, but he, I thought he was he really let us down, unfortunately. Um, mm. Hugh, anyone from your perspective that you you know you know we don't want to be too harsh, but disappointed us, let us down a little. Look, I, I don't know about disappointed. I think one of the areas where we were really outclassed in that game was in the second row. Um, and, and, you know, you could probably see it coming yeah. at the selection table and in, the English are blessed with a, an abundance of world-class second rowers. And, you know, really, without Cruz and Atoje, who were the top two, starting with Launchbury and Laws, and I thought both of those had fantastic games. And, and unfortunately, look, Blake Hanover was, was, was thrust into a situation, um, much like the referee, where he, he was, you know, I don't think he was quite up to the class of the game. But he performed pretty well. Um, I don't think you'd be at all unhappy with what he what he delivered. 
Um, Rob Simmons, again, look, he's, yeah, yeah. he is what he is and, and, um, you know, uh, line up function fairly well. Um, but we had that Rob, we had that Rob Simmons moment, didn't we? That time. The penalty. The, the, yeah, when he knocked on. Oh, God. He's lying on his back, like, hold, you know, holding onto the ball. the ball. I mean, it was just like, oh, God, come on, mate. But also when we were close to the line attacking, and twice he was the first receiver, and both times I was yelling at the TV, anyone but Simo. You know, <laughs> just the last person you want the ball. And you're, you're right, we're somewhat hamstrung, weren't we, Hugh? But they're both the same player, Blake and, and Rob. They're, they're both, you know, and I've got, I'm a big fan of Blake's. You know, we'll see how he develops. But they're both... You know, they're tall line-out jumpers. <laughs> you know, they, you know, they work around the field. And I think Black, Blake topped the tackle count for the Wallabies, but they're not impact players. You know, they're not a Rory Arnold or an Adam Coleman or a Matt Phillip or a Luke Antui who can pull off a big head and make a charge for the line. And they're, they're grafters and, and the balance was off. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I tell you the other person then, if we're just going in on where things went a bit wrong, um, just Curtly Beale had a shocking yeah. Uh, last 20 minutes or so, didn't he? It's just, uh, maybe he just came on and was trying to do too much after the yellow card. Um, I don't know what it was. I mean, it was, you know, and, or lost the pace of the game when he was off and then, you know, just couldn't get it back on. But it was knock-ons and ball. And look, that was the most crazy ball bounce you've ever seen, but you can't jog towards it. I mean, you know, you know, the ball's not out. I mean, that's not a try if he just puts, you know, he's got it covered, basically. Just needs to keep sprinting until he sees the ball go out. But didn't and I mean the first you know when it did that first crazy bounce you, you just you chase that you know because you know the ball's wobbling and he doesn't um so and that was that was that was really critical um so yeah like but it, it, you know currently we rely on to pull something crazy out of the hat and score a try like he did last week but this week you know that that 20 minutes um which is a little bit harsh because like you say, Rich, he was one of the few guys kind of getting his nose to the line um, through the first half of the match. Yeah. Um, look, this, you know, we kind of put this in this because we expected one of the egg chases on, but we should sort of uh, um, acknowledge the Poms. Uh, same sort of question, who caught the eye? Hugh, anyone in particular that uh, you, you, you thought was quite critical to their performance? Well, look, I've, I've already mentioned Courtney Laws. I thought he was, he was fantastic. Um, Nathan Hughes, I thought, had a good game, though he dropped... The ball about fifteen different times, um, and uh, Owen Farrell too. I think you know could well pick up the uh, World Player of the Year this week, um, and and probably deserve deserves it too. He 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 um, controlled the game pretty nicely. Um, yeah, look, uh, I think that's they 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 were the ones for me. I thought Anthony Watson at the back was also good, but um, yep. you know England dropped a lot of ball, and our defence. Put them under a lot of pressure it was one of the better parts of the game, but they just they just have that self belief. I think that we probably still lack in those big moments, don't don't they? Yeah, it's interesting that you they had those players and make Farrell and I know the, the egg chase. I still don't get him. You know, I, you know, I think he's a solid player, but I, you know, I thought Foley was pretty poor, but I still thought Foley was, and I know they different positions, but I thought Foley did more in attack and tried more things and his little kicks and side, and I, I don't get Farrell quite yet. From my perspective, I thought Launchbury, the, the, the two veterans, Launchbury and Robshire, I thought were fantastic. They did a, a hell of a lot of work, and obviously in Toji from the bench, I mentioned, but yeah, Launchbury, I thought was, was huge, and, um, you know, the, won the man of the match in that 2015 Rugby World Cup. I thought this was the game he probably deserved it, and it was fantastic. 
uh, Matt, what about you? Well, look, yeah, I thought their halfbacks did a great job. Um, you know, in an Eddie Jones team, the halfbacks quite often control it more often. And I thought both, you know, Youngs and Kerr, um, probably Youngs with a little bit more of his hustle and his bustle and his running uh, was always dangerous. And then Kerr came on and some, you know, telling kicks and, and whatever else. So, um, yeah, I mean... It, it was just a really solid performance from all of them, wasn't it? Which, yeah, you, which you kind of need in the sort of game they play. It's not like one person stands up and does whatever. It's just the whole team just knows what it's trying to do and goes out and gets it done. They're incredibly well drilled. Yeah, nice and patient performance. And then they, like you said, Matt, at the start, they took the opportunities when they came and, and didn't they come in that last 10 minutes or so? Um, all right, well, let's get, let's get through to, I guess, the, some of the controversial moments of the match. Um, and let's talk, Matt, uh, sorry, here, we'll go to you. Let's talk broadly about, you know, we can talk decisions first, but let's talk about the decision that before the game to, to appoint Ben O'Keefe, young upcoming ref, uh, to this match. What's your, what's your thoughts on this one? I think you might have a few. Well, yeah, look, I, I flagged it in, in last week's podcast. I don't know why World Rugby do this. You know, Ben O'Keefe's 28. Um, he's a very inexperienced international referee, and and it's it's the biggest game of the year. And we just, you know, we can't take chances putting these young referees into the big games. And and look, I don't think Ben O'Keefe overall did a particularly bad job, but there was just a couple of big moments where he was clearly uh, a little bit inexperienced and a little bit out of his depth, and and allowed the moment to get the better of him. And I think that did the game a disservice. And I think whoever runs the referees at World Rugby, um, I, I just it's a, it's a ridiculous decision not to put you know your best guys on on the best game. And that you know if if there's uh, well if the the state of the game's anything to go by, it's still Nigel Owens, still the best referee. And look, we've had our run-ins with Nigel in the past, but I've got to say, if for for a big game, I, I want him with the whistle in his hands. Um, so. You know, and I can't help thinking... Just, just not against the All Blacks, mate. <laughs> no, exactly, as long as not the All Blacks. But, yeah, you know, I just can't help thinking that some of those big moments would have would have gone differently, and not really even with different decisions at the end of them, but if, if Nigel Owens was there. Because as a fan, I found that game a frustrating one to watch, and part of that was because of the way it was officiated. All right, well, let's go to that, Matt. What do you? What were your feelings on those decisions? Were we were gypped the Wallabies? I mean, well, look, you, know, let's, you, you took at the, I guess the the English try, the Daly try, the Corabetti no try, the yellow cards. Yeah, well, look, you know, you will. Uh, Long time listeners and readers will know that I don't mind a bit of a conspiracy theory and a good old whinge at a ref. Um, and despite all my, I don't know, kind of frustration and anger out of that game. Um, it does boil down to the fact that we only had two opportunities, which were kind of half opportunities. Look, I'll, you know, I'll run through the tries really, really quickly. I, I, I felt the when I was, you know, when I watched that uh, Hooper try, I was like, um, you know, to me, it felt like Hooper was put on side by Corabetti, who, and I'm not even sure who didn't get a touch on that ball um, before, you know, as he tried to kick it, uh, Hooper came through. And I just sort of thought Hooper hadn't interfered with play. He was just there. If you read it by the letter of the law, Hooper doesn't stop dead when he's offside um, and continues in the direction of the ball. So you can call him offside. I just felt that was a bit nonsensical. So, but, you know, 
what do you do? So I, I just felt that, you know, it was, it was, it was play on. He didn't affect play. And, and so he, you know, he was, uh, I just thought in any dark time before the TMO, that wouldn't have been pulled up and it just would have been a fair try. The other can one. We, can I just I'd add on that one? I, I think that wasn't as clear as day from my perspective. I think you make the argument which the English commentators who were painful to listen to, and I'm, I normally don't get too concerned about the commentators, but I thought they were dreadfully biased. Um, uh, he may not have reached that ball if he wasn't two and a half metres offside. You know, I, he, mm. I, I think I was clear as mine. Clear, clear as day to me. I, thought, I agree with that one. But keep going on, mate. Well, yeah. quickly, just a quick comment. Um, yes, like, Corabetti's yep. got to dive on that ball. You know, yeah. I think that's, yeah. that and shows his experience it. at the top level because uh, a winger like Ben Smith would have just used his momentum, dived on the ball, and easily got over the line. And and I think Corabetti's got to got to get that instinct. Yeah. So so that one I can like I agree you can't really yep. grumble about. It's like it's fair enough. It's not a try. Um, the next one, I uh, I guess the argument here is. Like, it was pretty clear that Corabetti got the ball down. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to remember what O'Keefe asked, the, re- the what the, what the uh, question was that he put to the TMO. But, I mean, surely you could walk over and you can see Corabetti's got the, you know, he's, he's got the ball down. So it's probably the, is there any reason why I can't award that try? Um, I, I, thought it was, I thought it was as simple as that. But then he said... Like, I thought the advantage was on our favour. I thought he, we were going to, and this will prove wrong, we'll get tweets about this. I thought mm. he was going to go back to another incident in our favour, but obviously not. Well, he did say, he said there was a penalty, um, and I just want to check, uh, I wanted, so I want to check the grounding, and then I think, and then the, what's his name, Feldsman, had come in and said, and I think six was always offside. Um, and so fast forward, somehow we got to the point where that six was obstructed, and therefore it's no try. Um, I, I, so, and that just blew me, so that blew me away. I mean, I think Rob Shaw is borderline offside. Um, yeah, and even if he's not, I don't see how you say he's obstructed because he's come from, he's run sideways basically into more. Um, and so it's like, I don't know how you claim that that's, I mean, the Kiwis do that every day of the week. Um, you, you've got to, you've got to run it to the side or behind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so how you try and say that he was, he was, he was run out of that, I've absolutely no idea. And then even if, even if you do, there's a penalty, you know, back a few yards and, and that's the change. But where I get to one of the Keefs actually, um, so I, for me that, that was again, I don't know, call it 50 50 at worst. I think that was more like 70 or 80% an Aussie try. Um, yep. in, in that perspective and worst comes to worst, it comes back to a penalty. Um, but even if I, I give those two things and I say, look, we only had two, we had two shots. They were 50 50 ish and we didn't make it. The ones that absolutely did us in and actually we just had a big moan about it, the Aussies, but, uh, or the Wallabies, but you know, Considering there were 13 men down for a good slug around half time and actually away with three points up in that period yeah. while they're a man down is amazing. I mean, absolutely yeah. did it. And I think the thing that broke the straw that broke the camel's back was, you know, we've had a try disallowed. We've had two guys off on a yellow, at least one of which I thought was dubious. I thought Hooper didn't even get a warning, get sent, go, go forward to the second half. Palms get a warning, get another penalty against them, and then no one gets sent. And I'm like, that's just inconsistent, and that's just that's just O'Keefe being a hometown ref um, at that point. But if you think about it from the team's perspective, you know, didn't get a try, 
We've managed to get through two yellow cards. We then get, don't get another try, which by any stretch of the imagination, and then we're down the other side of the field, the other end of the field, because we've had a penalty get, given against us. That was when it all kind of went, right? And that was when it was like, yeah. oh, this is putting, this is pushing shit uphill. We, we can't score a try. We're going to get pinged. They're not going to get a, a ping. They just kind of mentally lost it. And by the way, that was at the 69th minute. So they'd managed to get through 70 minutes mentally and get to that point before it all kind of fell apart. Um, and so that's the point, that's the impact that I felt, um, O'Keefe had, but you know, I'm not even really whinging about the tries. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. I, I, I think your assessment there is pretty bang on. I think the impact of that, you know, 10 minutes, uh, with 14, you know, look, you know, the, the time with 13 and time w- w- with 14 really challenged us. Yeah. And, and, and that probably showed in that last 10 minutes. I know he had finishes on there, reserves on there, but that's when things blew apart and, and who knows the impact of, in those conditions, those conditions really amping up against that English team and the impact that had at the end of a long season on trying to stick with it there. I think that all sort of played out. Uh, Hugh, I'm just interested from your perspective on, um, you know, some of those rulings and how O'Keefe handled them and, and your, uh, you know, how they may have been handled. Should you would like to see them handled? Oh, yeah, look, I mean, the two for me were, I mean, that, the, the one that, the Corabidi try was the one for me and, and, and uh, generally all of the TMO decisions actually probably just the communication wasn't clear. The, the, you know, probably made his decision too hastily on a, on a couple of them. Um, yeah, look, I, I don't know. I, I just felt like he, he wasn't quite up to it. He did okay. And, you know, far worse refereeing performances. And I've seen far bigger howlers in games. I think, broadly speaking, the Wallabies just had nothing go their way. And there's probably five decisions or six big decisions, things that you can point to in that game, where normally, you know, the decisions would go 50-50 or a couple fall our way and we just had none of them. Everything went England's way, you know, every single call. Um, so, and, and look, that's rugby. That's how the dice are going to fall sometimes. And unfortunately for us, you know, that was probably in those conditions. That's the difference between winning and losing. It's, it's, um, you know, there's little margins and you, all you need is one or two of those decisions to, to break the other way. And, and, you know, like the the Corabidi try, you know, instead of either scoring a try or getting a penalty under the sticks and potentially a mark than a try, um, you know, we're, 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 you know, a couple of phases later, we're back in our own 22, you know, and, and it feels like you've got to start all over again. I mean, that was, that was the, the really hard part for it. And, and, you know, you can, you can break down each decision and justify it. I thought the harshest one of them all was probably the Hooper yellow card. I mean, that was, Oh yeah, three. You've you've committed three offences, but it was in the one play, and none of them were particularly cynical. So I mean, that was that was you know you could feel a bit aggrieved at that. Curly Beals was a clear yellow. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought the Hooper, Hooper no try was a no try. Look, you know, as, again, you can you can go through all the decisions and make a fair case for them, but I don't know. You, you just as it adds up, it does start to grate, and and you can understand why Michael Checker got frustrated, especially in that post-match interview where he was being needled about it. I can. I can I can completely empathise with him for that. And there were so many things. I mean, let's talk about the other things that didn't go the right. I mean, the, the knockdowns, which we must have had five different versions of what you're going to get for a deliberate knockdown, knock-on throughout that match. So 
there was uh, who was the, the the English winger one? Um, uh, it wasn't Watson. The guy apparently is faster than you say. Daly. Daly. Uh, yeah, right. Daly, Daly does does one. <laughs> Even though he got chased down by was it Corabetti? Um, apparently he's faster than you're saying, Bolt. But um, the uh, he he does a deliberate knockdown in the first half. But it says, no, 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 it was with two, it was with two hands. So that's okay. It, it, so it wasn't even a penalty. It was just a knock on. So you've got from there right through to instant yellow card, Kirtley Beale. Um, when actually you, you can see him flick his hand at it. It's not like it's a punch down, but that's instant yellow card. And then we also saw, um, what's his name? Mario Toji swim up yeah. the side and slap yeah. something out of someone's hands. Um, and that was a, that was like a that was you know just a penalty. So yeah, he, but, managed, but think, he managed to do everything through there. But look, look Beal's yellow. That's a yellow. That's a yellow. It's been a yellow for five years, you yeah. know. And England were hot on it. They were, it was a line break. That pass goes to hand, and they might score a try. You know, like that's it. That's a cynical offence. It's a yellow card. As much as Beal tried to justify it, Toje's coming through a mall. He's trying to slap Wilgenia's arm. There was no clear attacking opportunity there. Like, that's not a yellow card. And, you know, the, people were trying to make it seem like that's double standards. Um, and, you know, I'm not... Then, so the, so the biggest one two is... two different scenarios. But the, but the biggest one was Daly's, because Daly was going for an intercept as we were going towards their try line. Yeah. Well, uh, and, 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 but apparently if you use two hands to slap a ball down, that's okay. Anyway, look, I, I think we saw everyone in between. And then, oh, what was the only other thing? Oh, are you not allowed to sack them all anymore? Uh, it depends you know, when you, you, do it. you can only do it from a line out if it's the jumper at the time. Yeah, you can't and they take both them were. down at any time. Yeah, exactly. But they both were. They were both from they were both from lineouts, and but and it was the the uh, it was the jumper who got sacked. And I don't know if yeah. there's a time limit on how quickly you need to take them down. But <laughs> the other one was when Hooper took that line out and they actually held him in the air for a while, which Czech mm-hmm. again mentioned in the post-match, which is the palms holding him in the air. You can't do that either. Um, I don't know if any you talk about dodgy refing decisions and you know it's hard to dispute too much when it's a 24-point victory, but I don't know if you guys saw the Scotland-New Zealand game or even just the highlights where it was 17-all. Um, sorry, it wasn't 17-all towards the end, but uh, then New Zealand, uh, sorry, Scotland were pressing hard on the New Zealand try line and were under the post, you know, just metres out, and the ball was coming from a ruck, and Kieran Reid slapped it out of the halfback, one of the Scottish guys' hands, and um, the ref ruled a knock-on, played an advantage to a previous penalty, and Reid stayed on the field. It was the most... It was a terrible act, you know, of, of mm. one of the most professional... ultimate New Zealand professional fouls that should have been an instant yellow card. It was straight after... Um, uh, they received another yellow card. I think um, who got the other yellow card? The, the prop must uh, must have been uh, I don't know. Crockett maybe came on, got yeah, got a yellow card, and straight after that, Reed should have been in the bin too. Um, but that was an amazing finish. I don't know if you saw that. That was a that was a cracking game as well. Um, so, so talking to Scotland guys, we should get onto that. So they had a really narrow loss to the the All Blacks, and in fact, Stuart Hogg made a a pretty brilliant break in the last seconds of the game and, and was, went very close to, to putting Scotland over in the corner, which would have tied it up 22 apiece with the kick to come, but it got bundled into touch. So, you know, we, we now play Scotland this weekend. So 
how important is this game? Do we, you know, I, I, we talked up the England game. Is is this now? Now just a chance to, to give Daniela Tupu and Luke and Tui a go, or, or is this you know just as important as the last one, um, Hugh? I don't know, Reg. I've been thinking about this one today. I, I look, it's important as any Test match is, and, and and Scotland especially. You know, we've got a lot of history with, and we've probably got to right some wrongs from earlier in the year. Um, you know. I think we're coming to the end of our season. Is there a lot riding on this match? I don't think so. I mean, I think I know where this team is, and and I feel fairly comfortable about it. Um, but um, and whoever's typing there can just please t- calm it down. Um, the um, uh, but you know, is there a huge amount riding on this game for the Wallabies? I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm I'm skeptical. I'd love to see us beat the Scots, and we certainly should if we're on our game. Um, but at the same time, um, if we slipped to, dare I say, if we slipped to a close loss uh, against a resurgent Scotland team, look, it'd be it'd be disappointing, but it wouldn't be the end of the world, is my point. I'd like to win it, but um, at the same time, I think, you know, if we decide to give Sokopi Kepu and Tatafu a bit of a break, you know, I, I wouldn't be necessarily against that. Um, this team's proved enough to me to know where they're at. And, you know, a convincing win against Scotland would be a lovely way to end a year. And that's certainly something I'll be cheering for. So <laughs> I don't know. It's important, but not not. We're not playing. It's not super important. It's not. It's not like the final of the year. It's not the most important game. I think you're pretty bang on, guys. I think, um, and I, I I don't want to begrudge Scotland because you know they beat us last time we played and. We were all together for that match in Sydney. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty terrible uh, performance by the Wallabies. Wallabies. But, um, the Scots also had a great performance last week versus New Zealand. So you know they'll be up for this. This will be a really t- tough game. But you, this performance. The, the result won't change my perception of this Wallabies. Like you say here, I mean, I, I, a win will be great. Yeah, that's good. But it's it's not going to change where I think this team is, and in fact, a loss will probably reaffirm where I think they are um, and how far we are from where we need to be. So um, I, I'm with you. You know, I wouldn't mind seeing a few changes. I, you know, I'm more for giving more a last test start against Scotland um, and, and getting Jordan Ulessi some time off the bench. If Taniela Tupo gets capped this game. Yeah, that's great. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think we need to throw them too early. I don't think we're at run the risk of losing them to another country just yet. Um, I don't know what we do in the second row. Matt Phillip and oh, sorry, um, uh, Adam Coleman's gone home and Ned Hannigan's going home. So do we start Blake and Rob again? I'm not too sure. Luke and Tui's apparently fit. I don't know whether he comes straight back into the team, but there's a, a few questions that need to be asked there. But I, I, I'd be prepared to see a few changes in this team and, and, and mix things up and, and um, just just to see how they go. Matt, what about you? Is this a, a vital one for us to, to finish the season on a high? Or I'm how do you feel about whole, it? Turns the whole season around. No, look, <laughs> I, 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 I'm pretty split because on one hand, I agree with you guys. I think we know where the, where the Wallabies are this season. On the other hand, uh, there's this thing of, you know, mentally, do they pick themselves back up or do they collapse in a heap? Um, and I think it would be really good to see that these guys, that they can pick themselves up and um, that, you know, the 70 minutes against England wasn't, uh, you know, that it was the last 10 minutes that was a blip, not the first 70. Um, I think that would be that would be good to see. Um, not, not that it was a perfect seventy, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah. that the last that the last ten isn't necessarily where they're at, uh, and so yeah, I, I kind of yeah, I, I do feel like they're just 
they're continually on a trajectory. Each match builds towards that. They need to keep putting those deposits of belief in. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and actually, and getting that Scottish monkey off our back, that's pretty bloody important. I mean, it's turned, it's just turned into, a, into a shocker. <laughs> They've turned into a bogey team. We need to put that away. Yeah, yeah we do. Um, yeah, so look, not much more will go into that game because it's sort of only Monday night. We won't know the teams and all that sort of stuff. But uh, regardless, it'll be a tough performance, and um, we'll see how they uh, the, the boys bounce back from this from this loss. Um, look, our last question of the night was back to Super Rugby, I guess, and, and only on the basis of what we've seen of late is uh, is about the Rebels and their signings, and obviously the force of been shut down and, and there has been a flood of force players um, signing with the signing with the Rebels. So John Lance and Anura Rangi, the, the hooker, have signed, uh, I think it was just this week, the Billy Meeks, Richard Hardwick, Matt Phillip, Dane Hallett-Petty, Ross Hallett-Petty, um, Faulkner, Daly, Ainsley. Uh, they're all heading down there, uh, as well as a few other guys. Obviously, Will again is going to be there. Sammy Talakai, the, the English, uh, English lock, uh, Jeff Parling. But all these guys going to the to the one team, and you know the Brumbies have picked up is a Nasirani, great player. Then today they've they've announced uh, Verdi Am, uh, James Verdi Am, Verdi Am, sorry, the utility back, who's more been a, a NRC player than the Force. Whereas the the Waratahs and the Reds haven't got anything. Is this is this glut of Wallabies um, and Force players going to the Rebels a good thing for Australian rugby, or is it just um, is it just good for the Rebels, Hugh? Look, I, I think it's 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 good. I mean, I worry that some of these guys that are good players um, existing from the Rebels and coming from the Force are going to be stuck, you know, on the bench or even worse, out of the team, um, where they probably could walk into a start in the Reds or the Waratahs, um, which, you know, is a little bit frustrating. I look at the locks especially and think, um, you know, Matt Phillip, Adam Coleman, Ross Haylett, Petty, um, and these sort of guys, I mean, the Tars are Jeff crying Parling, out. Jeff Parling, yeah. Jeff exactly. Parling, yeah. The Tars are crying out for locks. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it looks like they're all going to be uh, elsewhere, which is a bit of a shame. Um, and there's a few other backline positions as well where you just wonder how they're going to fit all this talent, the Rebels. You know, you have the Korobides, Naivalu, um, you know, a guy like, um, and then Reese Hodge is there. You've got Taylor Adams come, coming through. You've got um, Jack you know, Maddox. Some, yep. Jack, you know, Jack Maddox is on the Wallaby tour, and where um, you're not sure where he's going to fit there either. Um, Billy Meeks, John Lance. Yep. Yep. Um, and and we haven't even started on the halfbacks. So, you know, I, I think it's great to see all of these good guys staying in Australian rugby, and that's the thing I'm happy about. Um, and you know, so far it seems like we haven't really lost too many players overseas. Um, but I, I hope that we can continue to see, you know, next year is the interesting one to see if we can see that yeah. talent spread a bit th- more and if the market forces can dictate a bit of movement through the teams, um, that would be nice to see because, you know, I think the Rebels, you, you probably pin them as, as, as you know, equal favourites with the Brumbies for the Australian Conference, wouldn't you? I mean, they're, they're assembling a, a pretty capable unit, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And, and Hugh, I'll still you thunder and say hello to Dave Vessels, but um, you know, if they don't win next year, it's it's all it's all up against them. They, um, you know, there's some interesting rumours coming out there. I hear players like uh, Nick Sturzacker and James Hansen and Laurie Weeks are actually looking to get out of their contracts to head overseas, and I don't know if that's ultimately the result 
uh, that we're looking for with this cutting down of teams. I guess, you know, we are looking, you know, it is meant to be a, 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 a siphoning of talent uh, somewhat, but I, um, I still would have thought that particularly a player, a player like James Hansen and even Nick Sturzaker, who's got plenty of potential, you know, should be playing, staying in the game, not playing off overseas. Um, uh, this might be harsh, and I'm, I'm sure this will put off um, our Melbourne listeners, Matt, but it's it could be one of the most undeserving outcomes of this, the Rebels who have been, you know, a pretty dire organisation since their inception and cost Australian rugby a lot of money are really the ones benefiting from this force going down. Um, it's, it's no shared love. It's, it's all one way. And, you know, I can understand the impact that Dave Vessels has in wanting those players to stay together and perhaps, perhaps those same players who left the force don't want to go to an establishment club like the Waratahs and the Red Zone. Perhaps that's an argument, but I, I can't feel that the, there couldn't be a more undeserving organisation than the Melbourne Rebels to, to benefit from this scenario. Yeah, I guess if we think of it as, as the Rebels from the past, um, the one thing I would say is uh, I must applaud um, Hugh for basically you know using how many locks we have for the Waratahs as the measure of um, <laughs> whether this thing's bad, for the, <laughs> whether this is bad for Australian rugby, a man after my own heart. Um, look, the, the, I guess one of the things you so you look at the, the Galacticos from the, the Rebels' perspective, and I kind of think mm, I I'm not sure even even the Tars skeleton of play or spine, I should say, of, of players, um, and we're missing a few and a few key positions clearly, but. I, I would say that um, I was going to say that I think, but the rebels are missing, and that you know, fine, you have Will Genia come in, and you've got Karabidi and a few others, but I think they're missing a lot of that cohesion. Um, that um, uh, I know, what's his name? Uh, ex- ben Darwin. Yeah, ben, yeah, Ben Darwin's kind of hit co- uh, cohesion factor. But I, I say that, and then I go, but hang on a minute, a lot of these new players that, that are coming in are coming in with. Um, you know, Kepler Vessels and um, his, you know, guys and, and the guys from the force. Yep, so he's, he's, he's bringing a little bit of that cohesion. I don't think it's enough cohesion for this next, for this season, but maybe the season after. At the end of the day, if we finally, look, if, if the Rebels can come out of being that basket case, that's got to be good for Australian rugby, you know, not having an easy beat. Um, and if they can if they can pull it together, whether it's deserved or not, Reg, I know. I mean, you know, they've been an absolute um, bottomless pit for money. I don't know if you can blame Vessels and um, those guys for that, um, that they can come back somewhere. I have – I can't remember who was telling me about it today. But they reckon, uh, you know, um, Vessels was trying to – you know, it was actually – Potentially giving Sturzaker a bit of a push because he wants Ruru in there. Um, probably yeah, talking, yeah. you know, t- t- talking about that, trying to get that cohesion. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see what happens. Um, whether you know he can bring that, you know, bring that um, sort of work ethic that the rebels had, which so that the force had that the rebels have never really shown, and um, you know, but then sprinkle a few little stars over the top of it. You never know where that might just go. Yeah, yeah, mate, and I've got no ill feelings towards the the players or the or vessels. Mm. Indeed, they've done what they had to do. I completely support them. It's it's more, you know, the 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 organisation behind it and those in Victorian rugby and all that sort of stuff that have that have uh, driven the game into the ground somewhat or participated strongly in it are now going to try and stand beside and and, and claim the glory, which is um, I think pretty undeserving. But we'll we'll see how it all happens um, as the the season unrolls. 
Uh, that'll pretty much wrap us up. Guys, anything else you want to say before we uh, wrap this one up? Well, the, the one thing we didn't touch on there was all that stink about um, the current standoff oh, happening. But, well, no. Oh, no. oh, come right. we, yeah, that stinks. That's another one. <laughs> let's just roll on from that. I mean, I, don't, yeah. I, I, I think it's it's getting hyped when there's not necessarily yeah. a lot there anymore. Um, it's yep. bec- I think it's becoming pretty lazy, a bit of lazy journalism's going into it now. Um, yep. But um, uh, yeah, it was more about talking about the stink between Rugby WA and and um, oh, I can't even know. What I, can't, I still call them the ARU. Um, yeah. right, is it Rugby Australia now? Um, I think so. R- yeah. RA, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, about what's going on there. I mean, it's this thing. Just it's the gift that keeps giving, isn't it? Um, as, it as it as it but goes, nastier and nastier. Yeah, and I, I can't remember how much you discussed this last week, but I don't know. After the Senate findings um, came out late last week, the RU finally responded today. I think it was. Did you guys see a copy of that release? No. It was the most bland. Uh, you know, there was nothing in it. It was just they might as well have not said anything out. There was they didn't say anything. They didn't cop to anything. They didn't know outcomes from it. It's 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 bizarre. I don't, it's just a, a three or four days after the um, after the actual Senate inquiry sort of comes down the report. <coughs> Excuse me, my voice is about to go. But there there was nothing in it, which is a it's yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the value of it, it was a. Really short release and nothing was said in it. So it's a, I think they're just going to move on and ignore it ever happened um, as a, a number of people feel that there won't be any significant repercussions from the Senate findings. I, I, I don't know. We'll see. Well, and, and the thing that makes you – that you, so oh, I don't know. We move on. I, I guess Paul was going. A bunch of his execs have yeah. gone. Um, but has have you got any anyone on this podcast and anyone out there Feel any more certain that this sort of thing couldn't happen again? Uh, you know that that anything it would have been learnt out of this. Um, I see. I don't know. I struggle to see any reason why I should believe that. No, mate. I, I've got no confidence in the strategic direction of Australian rugby at all at the moment. I, I don't think you know we've seen nothing to 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 give us or to give me at least any confidence in the vision of where it's going and steps are being in the right direction. I mean, the the, the biggest announcement they've had of late is moving into their new facility at Moore Park. Mm. Well, I guess I guess what I'd be really looking for is something that says, you know, we are changing the procedures and cultures of a place that managed to get it into a yep. hole like this. And I yep. and I see absolutely none. I see the same board going to choose the next bunch of people to go and do it, as far as I can tell. And and, yeah, and look, there's a lot of there was a lot of political motivation clearly, and, and and heat that was in the situation around that Senate findings and everything else. But someone somewhere's got to put their hands up and say that was one of the worst run processes that you could ever imagine. Um, there's a few scalps of it, and they might say, "Hey," but I mean, I think you know, Pulver was getting towards the end of his term anyway. Um, and I, yeah. I don't really, I don't really care about scalps. I want to know that that sort of stuff can't happen again, and that we can't end up into such a <laughs> that we're not going to have such another awful season. Yeah, you're right, and I don't know. It's only rumours at this stage. I don't know how strong, but from my source, they're fairly strong. But one of the names at the top of that ARU CEO list is is a, a member of that current board who was pretty intimately involved along the way. So I'm not too sure if that will actually end result, but it, it seems fairly strong. So uh, that does give you a great, a great deal of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. 
Oh, God, that would surely show you that nothing's been learned. Oh, my God. I know a few people, I know a few people have an aneurysm out of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, um, Hugh, All right, guys. But you must know a few people. Yep, any yeah. any um, Shaw alumni are going to put their hands up for, for that job, surely? Oh, uh, yeah, there's a mate in my year, actually, who thinks he's going to have a crack, <laughs> and he's, he's actually a pretty good chance, I think. He just lives down the road from Bill. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I think he's a pretty 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 good bet. But um, there's actually another you know another few that, that there's a reunion this year for the 20 year. I think the class of uh, 1998, uh, 1997, um, and um, actually they'll they'll probably do a a bit of a sign up sheet there as well for, to see who can <laughs> who can put their name in as well because generally that's where they get a lot of their uh, senior executive employees at those sort of. Mixes and, and yeah, old boy functions. So oh, fair enough. Why should it change? That's right. Cool. All right, Reg. I think you you, you want to write that mate, before you expire. <laughs> oh well, thanks, lads. Thanks everyone uh, for joining us and listening to us. We'll probably one more podcast. We'll probably slip in after the Scottish game, depending on the result. If we lose, we might just pretend it never happened, and, and we'll, you might see us next year. But uh, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll get on top, and we'll try and wrap up the season somehow. But uh, Matt and Hugh, thank you for your time this evening, and, and to Nick and the and to all our listeners, we'll catch you next week. Heels off the top, Larkham, Herbert smashes through the middle. Regan, drop goal from Larkham. Up it goes! Could you believe it? Larkham has to be a de Beer.